Good morning. An undisclosed number of years ago, my wife turned 30. And you will never know. And on her 30th birthday, her mom, my mother-in-law, whom I love very much, I know like when some people hear mother-in-law, they immediately, immediately like have hair stand up in the back of their neck and terror in their hearts. But for me, I love my mother-in-law. She's an amazing lady. And on Kara's 30th birthday, she took her to Hawaii. Okay, it's pretty pretty fantastic birthday present. They went to Hawaii. They spent uh, about a week together there, just the two of them, celebrating her life. My wife is the oldest in her family, and so it was just it was a neat moment for them. They went and uh, spent, as as you might imagine, a lot of time just laying on the beach, enjoying themselves. Turns out, didn't know this, but the beaches in Hawaii are very hot, so they spent a lot of time running back and forth to their towels and uh, enjoying that. One day though, they had a traumatic experience I wanted to share with you. In the midst of paradise, in the midst of uh, sort of an idyllic week for them, they were laying on the beach one afternoon and they looked out into the ocean and they saw a lot of people losing their minds uh, around this one individual who was down in the water. Uh, This individual was supposed to be snorkeling, but at the moment he was fighting for his life. He was swimming as hard as he could. And what they had been told that morning or earlier in the week, actually, they were told, be careful, there's this rock that jets out from the beach and it's beautiful and a lot of people jump off of it. A lot of people go out there to snorkel, look at the beautiful uh, formations under water and the fish that inhabit them. But be careful because the rip current can be pretty strong out there. And so they're looking out here, this guy who went out there to just you know, peruse the neighborhood, look underwater and see what God had made, got stuck out there and began to fight. And he fought the rip current. As some of you know, it's very difficult to fight that current once it begins. And he fought and he fought and eventually he drowned. It was a tragedy, truly a tragedy. A guy whose family was there with him on vacation, uh, he just went out to have a fun time and he never came back. But here's the bigger tragedy. When they got back inside, my wife and her mother were talking with some people who were on staff at the resort, and they said, you know, the the sad thing about when this happens, which is a tell that this is not the first time, but the sad thing about when this happens is that if he had just taken a deep breath and turned around and gone with the current, it literally would have just taken him around the horn of that big rock and dropped him gently on the beach. What a sad story. And they're watching all of it sort of take place in real time and the real tragedy of it is that his life could have been spared if he had just known that one thing. He had just known, take a deep breath, turn around and go with the current. One of the things I realize in life and this particular illustration really stood out to me this week in preparation after reading our passage because I recognize that in my own life and the lives of other people around me and in our world at large, there are people living contrasting lifestyles. And in many ways, our particular illustration this morning, this story illustrate them well. On one hand, you have people who are spending their entire life fighting against the rip current of life. 
and everything that they have, all of their energy is spent basically fighting through this life. And listen, I wouldn't undermine the reality that life is hard. Can I get an amen? Life is difficult, right? Like we're not gonna undervalue or, or pretend that that's not true. But here's, here's the thing. There's another group of people, and we'll see one of these people in here, who have realized that in life, God wants to be involved in our lives intimately. And he wants to give us some perspective, understanding, wisdom, his guidance in our lives that allow us to navigate some of the things in our lives, right? Not from a posture of just fierce striving, but from a posture of almost relaxation. And so this morning, before we dive into our passage, I thought maybe we could do what that guy should have done. If everybody would, just close your eyes. No one's gonna poke you, don't worry. If they do, then they're a bad person. <laughs> just kidding. We're all bad people. Fearfully and wonderfully made, though. If you would, just take a deep breath. And relax. About one more time. Just take a deep breath. And relax. Acts chapter 27, starting in verse one, says this, when it was decided that they were to sail to Italy, they handed over Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion named Julius of the Imperial Regiment. This is an incredibly powerful man in terms of the Roman government. When he had boarded a ship, and I'm gonna miss a lot of these words, these are words that aren't familiar to me, so just forgive me. Uh, when, he, when he boarded a ship at Andra Midium, he put to sea, intending to sail to ports along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus of Macedonia and of Thessalonica was with him. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and allowed him to go to his friends to receive their care. And when we had put out to sea from there, we sailed along the northern coast of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And after sailing through the open sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we reached Myra or Myra uh, in Lycia. There were there the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. Sailing slowly for many days with difficulty, we arrived in, off of uh, Nidus or Cnidus. Since the wind did not allow us to approach it, we sailed along the south of uh, south side of Crete, off of Salmon or Sal. You, you can do it. I don't know. I know you're thinking like, you're supposed to know these things. I don't. With still more difficulty, we sailed along the coast and came to a place called Fair Havens. It just so doesn't fit with all these other things. <laughs> Near the city of Lycia. <laughs> it almost feels like you're, you're sailing around the Mediterranean and then all of a sudden we're like in the Hamptons, like out of nowhere. <laughs> Verse nine says, by now, much time had passed and the voyage was already dangerous since the Day of Atonement was already over. Paul gave his advice and told them, men, I can see that this voyage is headed towards disaster and heavy loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid attention to the captain and the owner of the ship rather than to what Paul said. 
Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided to set sail from there, hoping somehow to reach, the, uh, to reach Phoenix, a harbor on Crete, facing the southwest and northwest, and to, the, and to winter there. Wow, I made it through all those hard words. In this first little section of our passage today, one of the things that stood out to me this week as I studied is that there's a great deal of effort given to describe authority and talk about those who were in authority. And it was interesting to me, and I'll, I'll show you why. Right off the bat, we're introduced to this man named Julius, who's a centurion. And in the Roman world, this morning I was telling the first crowd, I don't know where the idea that men think about Rome all the time came from, but I don't know if it's true or not. I don't think about Rome all the time, but if we could for a moment think about Rome just for a second, this guy was a big deal. Centurions were a, a big deal, particularly this centurion from the Imperial Regiment. And so as you step into the story, you're aware of the fact that, that in some ways, Paul is supposed to be in Julius's care. But what we know, based upon the story that leads up to the story and the story that goes after the story, is it's not so much that uh, Paul is in Julius's care so much as the moment Julius steps on the boat with Paul, he's under God's care, right? And so it's interesting because the obvious, for those who are not aware of what God is doing, how God has brought Paul into this moment and is taking him somewhere very specific, you would look at the story sort of from a flat level and think to yourself, well, Julius is in charge, but what we know is that while Julius might have thought as, uh, as Paul, as his, uh, of Paul as his captive, Julius was actually captive to a story that was much larger than he could ever have dreamed of, right? The story of God's redemption of the world. And he was just a player, right? He might think he's a big deal, but he's just this small little piece of the pie because God's on a mission and so what you need in the story, what we get as readers of Luke here in Acts chapter 27 is the perspective to recognize that this story is God's story. It's not Julius's story. He's not the ultimate authority in this particular passage. He's not the ultimate authority anywhere, as it turns out. God is the ultimate authority, okay? So let's pick up from there. In verse 13, it says, when a gentle south wind sprang up, they thought they had achieved their purpose, okay? So in their mind, they think our wisdom, the things that we've chosen, the authorities, the captain and Julius have made a good call. Though Paul has told them, this guy that they view as a prisoner, but in reality is speaking for God, has told them the opposite. They think we've made a good call. Then it says, they weighed anchor and sailed across the shore of Crete. But before long, a fierce wind called the Northeaster rushed down from the island. Since the ship was caught and unable to head into the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. I love those words. Those words are a reminder to us that as powerful as Julius may be, as powerful as the Roman government may be, at the end of the day, they don't get to tell the waves where to go. They don't, do they? They don't have that kind of authority. And this boat was not being driven along by them. It was being driven along by someone else altogether. Verse 16, after running under the shelter of a little island called Kata, they were barely able to get control of the skiff. 
And after hoisting it up, they used ropes and tackle and girded the ship, like they wrapped up the ship in ropes and tackle to hold the baby together, right? Fearing that they would run aground on Sirtis. They lowered the drift anchor, and in this way, they were, again, they're driven along. They can't do anything about it. In some ways, these people who are in authority and control the world are in a position where they're not controlling anything. Because we were being severely battered by the storm, they began to jettison the cargo the next day. So they're throwing stuff overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. For many days, neither sun nor stars appeared, and the severe storm kept raging. Finally, all hope was fading that we would be saved. Friends, I would just tell you, this week as I studied, it dawned on me that this section where they are driven along in the ocean by these storms, so many ways is the outcome of a life lived unaware of God's guiding hand. This is the outcome, the panic that you see in the lives of these men on the ship doing everything they can to hold this thing together, not aware of the fact that God is doing something in their midst. So we continue on, verse 21, since they had been without food for a long time, this is amazing to me, Paul stood up among them and said, hey, you men should have followed my advice not to sail from Crete and sustain this damage and loss. It's kind of an I told you so moment. It's not my favorite of Paul's moments, but it is what it is. Verse 22, now I urge you to take courage because there will be no loss of any of our lives, but only of the ship. For last night, an angel of God, of the God I belong to and serve, stood by me. Remember that from a few weeks ago? And said, don't be afraid, Paul. It is necessary for you to appear before Caesar. And indeed, God has graciously given you all those who are sailing with you. So take courage, men, because I believe, God, uh, that it will be just the way it was told to me. But we have to run aground on some island. I mean, I love that last sentence. It's like, God's gonna help us, y'all. Everything's gonna be okay. He told me himself, but we're gonna have to crash the boat into an island, okay? <laughs> and they're like, wow, okay, let's do it. Can you see how Paul's attitude stands in such stark contrast to those of the rest of the sailors on the boat? And that attitude, right, is directly correlated to the fact that he heard from the Lord, right? The voice of God is the difference. That the basic human response to this kind of calamity is to freak out, right? It's to, it's to, to worry and fret unless we hear a word from God that tells us, do not be afraid, have courage, I've got you. I've got something that I'm up to here, and you know it. And the moment God's voice comes into play, the attitude radically changes on that boat, doesn't it? All right, Paul stands up, hey, we gotta eat something. This is important, everybody should get something in their belly. God's gonna take care of us, he's gonna get through, uh, get us through this thing to the other side. Verse 27 says, when the 14th night came, I believe that's a fortnight. I'm not 100% sure, but I think that's right. When the 14th night came, we were drifting in the Adriatic Sea. By the way, this is way off course, okay? They have gone way off course. And about midnight, the sailors 
uh, thought that they were approaching land. They took soundings and found it to be 120 feet deep. When they had sailed a little further and sounded again, they found it to be 90 feet deep. Then, fearing we might run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight to come. These sailors have gotten very religious in recent days, haven't they? Isn't it true that there are no atheists in foxholes? Verse 30, some sailors tried to escape from the ship. They had let down the skiff into the sea. Pretend, I love this part, uh, it's like treachery, right? Pretending that they were gonna put out anchors from the bow. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, he's kind of a, a title tell here, unless these men stay in the ship, you can't be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes off, holding the skiff and let it drop away. So like the escape plan is gone, right? We're either gonna wreck this boat into something or we're all, it's, it's gonna go down. Like there's no escape otherwise. God has a plan for us, which I mean, I'll tell you, I don't have time to go into it today, but is there not a gigantic lesson there for us, right? Get rid of the skiff, God has a plan. We're following that, okay? Verse 33, throw away the lifeboats, that's right. Verse 33, when it was about daylight, Paul urged them all to take food, saying today is the 14th day that you've been waiting and going without food, having eaten nothing. So I urge you to take some food, for this is for your survival, since none of you will lose a hair from your head. If you've ever heard your grandma say that to you, this is the passage it comes from, all right? After he said these things and had taken some bread, he gave thanks to God in the presence of all of them. After he broke it, he began to eat it. Does that not sound like someone you know? And they were encouraged and took food themselves. In all, there were 276 of us. Again, this is an important moment. We find out Luke, he's been telling us the whole time, but he tells us in explicit terms here that he's there on the ship as this baby's about to wreck into the side of, a, of an island, okay? When they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing the grain overboard into the sea. Again, they're throwing their food into the sea. Verse 39, when daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but sighted a bay with a beach. They planned to run the ship ashore if they could, and after cutting the anchors, they left them in the sea, at the same time, loosening the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and headed to the beach. But, I love this, but they struck a sandbar and ran the ship aground. The bow jammed fast and remained immovable while the stern began to break up by the pounding of the waves. Can I just point this out? I've seen this all over the book of Acts. We talk so much about strategy in our world so much about strategy in the church, right? If we could do this and try this, and if we go in this order and do it in this way, and then all of a sudden it's like that strategy, God goes, I, or you could just do it my way. That's another option. I'll just tell you what to do and you do that, that thing. That's also a good plan. For them, they're like making plans. There's a beach, we're gonna run this thing ashore, it's gonna be beautiful. And God's like, or I could just run you into a sandbar right here and then make sure you're reminded that it's me who brought you here not your own intellectual pursuits, right? Or giftedness. He runs into the sandbar. Let's finish off this passage. They struck a sandbar and ran the ship aground and the bow jammed fast and remained immovable while the stern began to break up by the pounding waves. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners so that no one could swim away and escape. But the centurion kept them from carrying out their plans 
because he wanted to save Paul. And so he ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. And the rest were to follow, some on planks, some on debris from the ship. In this way, everyone safely reached the shore. What a great story. Did you notice how about two-thirds of the way through the story, Julius stopped being the authority on the boat? Anybody see that? I think Julius had a moment when he recognized, I, as strong and as powerful as I am by position as a member of the, the Roman guard, cannot hold a candle to the power of whoever this guy serves. He's in charge. I'm obviously not in charge of this thing. He's carrying us along out into the middle of nowhere and I don't have a plan, but obviously he has a plan. You see Paul who is just calm, just chilling, enjoying his life, taking a trip on the boat, giving instruction, doing his thing, making sure people eat, really taking care of things. And you come to the realization that like the reason Paul is so calm and so relaxed in the midst of such a crisis moment is because the word of God and the power of God and the perspective of God has so shaped his life that he can just relax, just go about his life because he trusts that God loves him and he'll carry out his plan. Can I show y'all something? I think this is really cool. Turn with me to Romans chapter eight. It's like super famous passage. You gotta go just a few pages over to get there. Romans chapter eight, some of you like already got fired up about it like immediately. That encourages my heart, you should know that. Romans chapter eight. These are the words of Paul in his epistle to Rome, okay? What then are we to say about these things? If God's for us, who can be against us? He did not even spare, he did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. But even more, he's been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Uh, can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We're counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen, right? Here's what I wanna point out to you today. It's had such an impact on me this week. Sometimes we read the epistles in isolation from the book of Acts. And we forget that some of these things that Paul is writing, he's writing because he has lived them in real time. Who else could say, in Christ, I am more than a conqueror, other than someone who literally has been in a situation and in situations where he has seen followers of Christ possess more power than the conquerors of the Jewish people in that time? He lived it in real time. Look at this passage. One more, real quick. This is Philippians. Paul's in prison when he writes this thing. Philippians chapter one, verse six says, I am sure of this, 
that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Friends, this is not just a platitude. This is written by a guy who got on a boat and God saw the mission that he had started in his life before he got, got on that boat, completed in Rome on the other side of getting off that boat. You guys see that? He lived this stuff. Here's the thing that I think sometimes we miss. We just, we read through the, the, the epistles and we forget the fact that these words in the epistles are meant for us to live daily, to live from daily, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing, not anything in this world, nothing can separate us. And if God begins a good work in you, he's gonna complete it. And I could go on and on. You read through the epistles, there's these promises that Paul is trying to relay to the church, trying to help us recognize God's for you. He's on your side. He has a mission. He has a purpose for your life. There's stuff that he's trying to do in this world. And might it be very, very difficult? You better believe it. It's gonna be really hard. You might suffer and you might even die. But even if you die, you're gonna immediately be with him because he's that good. He's just gonna take you there to be with him immediately. Right, so the scriptures teach us, the, the, the epistles and the book of Acts teaches us that the key to the Christian life is to be people who take a deep breath and relax and listen to the voice of God and just do what he says, right? And listen to the voice of God and just do what he says, right? Not that like I'm in the rip current and I'm just swimming against it as hard as I can, trying to be the best person that I can, trying to do all the things that God's told me to do. It's like, no, take a deep breath, listen to the voice of God, relax, do what he says to do and he'll be faithful to complete what he started in you. Do we believe that? Do we? I love this story. I'll tell y'all, this has been one of my favorite um, sermon series that we have ever preached here, at least in my time here, that I've ever preached. Because I so badly, I'll tell you on the front end of this series, I so badly needed that message that, hey, dude, you gotta chill out. Like, you're trying so hard. But what if instead of just trying so hard, and again, the gospel's not opposed to effort. That's not what I'm trying to get at. It's opposed to earning. Like, what I needed to hear is God actually wants to guide you through your life personally. He's actually interested in your daily life. And by the power of the Spirit, he wants to speak to you. And he wants to give you directives in your day. And he wants to tell you, hey, you're gonna be okay. This is gonna turn out okay. I'm here for you. I'm gonna walk you through to the other side. But like, it's hard to hear when all we're doing is just swimming against that current, right? Head down. And like if Axe has taught me anything, it's, it's taught me that God's still in the business of communicating with human beings and giving them the life that he wants for them if they'll abide in him and work with him day in and day out in their lives. And so that's my hope for you. That's my hope that we would take that from this passage today. That as you face storms in your life, that you might just be aware there's a perspective that you can take. There's a a position towards those struggles and storms of your life that you can take that's one of trust, 
Like, God, I know this is hard, but I believe that you're gonna see me through. Right? Even if you don't see me through, I believe on the other side I'm gonna see you. So it's all good. It's all good on whatever end you take me through. That's hard to say. None of us want that necessarily. But I think Paul got to that point in his life, and I think God wants us to get to that point in ours as well, where we just trust him every day. Let's pray. Would you just take a deep breath and relax? If you're here this morning and you're just worried about how much groceries cost right now. You're fearful about feeding your family. Would you take a deep breath and relax? Would you remember that God has promised to take care of us? Matthew chapter six takes care of the birds and the flowers, he's gonna take care of you. He knows your fears. He knows you're worried. He loves you. He's gonna take care of you. He might ask you to work really hard. He's gonna take care of you. Some of you are wrapped around the axle, so fearful about the future of our country and about our leadership and about 2024 and all these things, and maybe today you take a deep breath and relax. Remember that if God was in control when Julius thought he was, God's in control now. This is his story. You can relax. One group that comes to mind is if you're a, a mom or a dad in the room and you just feel like, I just don't know if I'm doing enough. I'm trying so hard to raise good kids and to get them where they need to go and to help them do the things that they're supposed to do, could you maybe just take a deep breath and relax today? God loves your kid. He has plans for him. He wants you to listen to him. And relax, just do what he says. It might not be easy, but he's got your kids. He loves them more than you do.
God, we could sit here for an hour just talking about all the things that stress us out. And God, I just wanna tell you, like watching the way Paul interacted with the storm and with authority and with people who wanted to kill him because he was a criminal according to their perspective on a ship that was sinking. God, I just, I'm so blown away by his just peace. I'm blown away by the way that he's able to relax and be calm and uh, honestly just lead from a steady place, people who are freaking out. And, and God, I want that kind of life, the kind of life that trusts that you've got this, whatever comes. Lord, I want that for my friends who are here today. And Lord, I just sincerely ask you that you would work that in us. Help us to trust you, Lord. And then help us to live lives that are characterized by simple listening and obedience. Lord, you have the perspective. You see the whole playing field. We don't. You have the power. Right? You can do anything you want. We can't. You've got what we need, and you love us. And so we're just asking you to do and be what we can't be, and then help us to just settle into our limitations and let you take over the rest. God, we love you, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you have any questions about what you just heard, we'd love to talk with you. You can get connected at hnw.org about what we believe or how to join a small group or follow us on social media as well. Thank you so much for joining us and we'd love to see you soon.